Hey there, I don't really have any admin or anything to do with the top here. I just want to let you know how this particular episode is going to shake out. We know that certain people are sensitive about spoilers for Hearts of Stone. It's understandable. The Witcher 3 is a long game. They still have it in their backlog, etc., etc. So we are doing everything but Hearts of Stone. Then we are doing our admin. We're announcing the games for April and May. And then after all of the admin, after the show usually would have ended, then we are reading your responses about The Witcher 3 Hearts of Stone. So if you're sensitive about those spoilers, listen through to the admin um, and then cut it off, save it for later, etc. Um, if you're not sensitive, uh, just keep on going to the end. Uh, I think that's everything. Let's hear what you had to say. Butterfield. This is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a Games Club podcast. And this month, we are, or this week rather, we are reading your responses to the games that we covered in March. So Ikaruga, Jamestown, The Witcher 3, Hearts of Stone, and The Legend of Zelda, The Breath of the Wild. That is a wide range of stuff. What a goddamn spicy month. Oof. You, you madmen. Bring You me... sons of bitches, you did it. Bring me some dairy to soothe this spice. Yeah, this is uh this is a ghost pepper. <laughs> this is uh yeah, so so uh thanks everybody for writing in. Uh we know that you guys have strong opinions about those games. Uh and because of such, uh, we just want to do a quick reminder just to let people know um to to try to keep your responses uh to the point. Mm-hmm. Um not not subtweeting anyone, not calling anyone out specifically, but just um, you know, individual stories, individual observations, uh things like that are great. Yep. Um, kind of uh, longer-winded, more comprehensive reviews are less good. Yes. Uh, uh, so concise and novel are kind of the things that we that we look for. So we don't intend to hurt anybody's feelings if we edit you down or don't include you, but just want to make sure that people understand that that is a criteria for like, yeah, that's what's going to get on. Just because reading a blog post doesn't doesn't make for terribly inter- you know terribly interesting audio, however interesting your points are. <laughs> yes yeah, yeah so just um and then we read everything as well yeah so if you if you send something in and we don't put it on air don't feel like uh it's you know unappreciated right uh because we still read it mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so let's uh we have a lot to get through so let's go ahead and just uh get started um i'll get started here with this is the responses to our shooters we've handled and first off we have uh we have fletch uh friend of the show mm-hmm. who says regarding the shooter episode and a few notes from the show uh, one, I feel it bears mentioning that better shooters make a very clear part of the sprite visible as the hitbox in the genre. It's an aesthetic choice. Nobody wants to design a dot that shoots lasers. They want to make cool ships or anime youths or sick dragons or so on. Ikaruga is just a terrible title. Uh, as a side note, though, Gradius 3 has a power-up uh, that will fit your taste. One alternate shield type lets you shrink the ship a few times, giving you a smaller and smaller sprite. Uh, point two, you brought up story and shooters being minimal or baffling, and it felt like sharing the best and worst examples I can think of. Square's Einhander, or Einhander 
was excellent at conveying the story, using the level transitions to have your AI handler narrate your orders, or more, uh, to you as the next space loaded via the music track. Meanwhile, the absolute nadir would be the recent Raiden 5, which has full anime cutscenes and characters who won't shut up while you're trying not to die. <laughs> it's a sensory assault from a series you only play for toothpaste lasers. Uh, I know exactly what you mean by toothpaste lasers, and that's a that's a weird thing, but like <laughs> that, I know what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, and uh, third point, finally, suggestions for people who want alternate easing in titles for bullet hell uh, for the bullet hell genre. Uh, Toho has good difficulty scaling and is beginning to appear on Steam. Darius Burst CS uh, is on most modern platforms and goes from older shooter territory to nasty as hell as you progress through it. And also has the single shooter boss, uh, the single shooter boss to ever haunt my nightmares, GTB. Uh, what does GTB stand for? Is that an acronym or is that the name of the boss? I'm going to assume that it is the name of the boss. Okay. Yeah, I do not know. Uh, it could be. It could be an acronym. That, mm-hmm. uh, that happens. I learn those still now. Gratz to uh, Bay. Gratz to Bay. Um, and uh, Dodan Pachi Resurrection is a recent uh, release on multiple platforms that allows you to see replays from online to learn from. It has five different versions of the game from training to black label, like the scotch. Um, <laughs> that's my addition. Uh, an entirely new scoring and progression system for hardcore vets and a variety of ships and options to suit your gameplay style. Seek those out. Yeah. Um, a lot of the responses that we got about the shooters uh, actually mm-hmm. offered um, a lot of these kind of alternatives or kind of suggestions for next moves um, no, into the genre. So that is uh, that is very helpful. Thank you, everybody, for sharing those. I was I was really expecting a lot of like, hey, you dipshits. <laughs> so like, that, that, that's way more pleasant than like, the, the, hey, the, you dumb pieces of shit. Like it's you know. <laughs> the, 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 the closest that we get to, hey, you dipshits is here and everybody's really understanding and quite patient uh, with our <laughs> outsider status. So that was a that's, pleasant surprise. That's great. The um, yeah. And then as far as so I understand nobody wants to design just kind of addressing addressing the points. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I understand nobody wants to design a dot, um, you know, but it could still be it could be a smaller ship, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to like I get the aesthetics of not having a dot. Yeah. yeah. But just uh, I do. And even then, like if you're getting aesthetic d- gains from it, like what you're losing from having your hitbox not, not match your sprite. I don't know that that's worth it. Yeah. You know, as a thing, um, story stuff like that, that anime shooter sounds like fucking hell. Uh, I, yeah, not in a billion years. I like Raiden. Uh, I've only ever played like Raiden two, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know those games, but I do not, I cannot handle having anime speech happening at me while I'm trying to play a video game. Like that requires concentration. Yeah. A lot of words. Yeah. And, uh, a, a few people wrote in to recommend Einhander and I'm pretty curious about that as well. Square's non-RPG stuff is is curious and interesting. Yes, to me. So and I, that, would I always, a, that would be a fun, weird month, like Einhander, and then like uh, Tobal, <laughs> and then uh, Urgeis. Urgeis. Yeah, yeah, I always get oh, Einhander and Urgeis uh, mixed up. Yeah, and yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good to know. Thanks, Butch. Yeah, thank you. Um, Abraham writes in uh, via contact saying the home releases of most modern hardcore shmups generally do have some difficulty settings that affect more than Ikaruga's very basic one. Stage select is available as well. So most games do offer the experience that Jamestown provides, but make it a secondary option rather than the default. This actually applies to Jamestown in reverse. The starting gold you have allows you to play the game at a gauntlet on, di- on a difficulty that lets you play all the levels from the start which is what I did upon replaying uh, the game to discuss it and would have definitely resented not being able to. I also wanted to point out one other thing. 
I and a few other shmup players I know actually don't like Ikaruga much. I think it's a really weird game in the genre in a few ways, uh, in that I think it's generally more loved by non-shmup players based on the strength of its brilliant gimmick. Its scoring system is incredibly rigid to the point of being brainless, there is zero space for player expression, and it is 100% memorization and execution, and the issue of the ship hitbox is uniquely awful in it. Other shmups tend to communicate where the hitbox is dramatically better, with other games displaying it uh, with a really bright section or circle on the player's ship. That, that was one of the weirdest things about covering that game, was learning that uh, that game's reputation is not monolithic. Yes. Of course, I mean, of course it is. It, it isn't. But the reason, you know, and we talk, we don't need to relitigate all this, but the reason why we pick that is because it is the, it's the big bullet hell shooter that I heard the most from, about. Yeah, it's the, uh, it, it is, it is the blade of grass that stuck up the highest, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I know that that's, it's not monolithic the other way either. No, no. But I've definitely heard more people be like, you know, more people, more people be like, uh, you know, it's not actually that good <laughs> yeah. than the opposite. Yeah. You know how sometimes people be like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so people who don't like Ikaruga be playing it like this. This. Whereas people who do like Ikaruga do do be do be playing it like on to this. <laughs> yeah. Be as be as unto others as yourself is. <laughs> yeah. Pl play play Ikaruga like Goofus. Yeah. Or Gallant. He plays it like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's good to it's good to learn kind of specific complaints that don't come from our place of being outsiders to the genre, right? One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what does uh Natalie, Natalie says okay. uh, via contact. Well, whatever Natalie says, she says it via contact. Um says I'm going to try hard not to sound like the Ikaruga Defense Force here because I understand it's the definition of a game that's not for everyone. However, as I think it's one of the most beautiful games ever made, I did want to respond to some of your criticisms. Your comparison of playing games to playing music is right on with why I like the memorization-based approach to Ikaruga. While playing a good reaction game can feel like improvising a jazz solo and totally nailing it, for me, the memorization aspect of bullet hell games feels like mastering an incredibly technical classical piece. In Ikaruga's case, though, I actually think dance is a better comparison. Despite its Buddhist philosophy, Ikaruga, to me, has always felt like a brutalist industrial ballet, especially reality, which is one of my favorite levels in all video games. I would hate for all games to require the amount of patience that that level requires for me to be able to execute it well, but I do find that participating in its choreography to be incredibly rewarding. If you haven't already, I'd recommend you try Outland, which combines Ikaruga's polarity-switching mechanic with more of a fast-action platformer. Still tough, but relies a lot less on memorization. You know what? This, uh, bringing that up kind of unlocks something in me, and I don't think that we talked about it in the episode. But like, there's there's some points of comparison between this and like hardcore leader level um, elite beat agents. Yeah. Right. Like where it's just like the people who I know who like elite beat agents. Um, it's that you you approach them the same way. Like yeah. it just I'm just going to memorize what order these dots are going to appear on the screen. Mm -hmm. It's not about the music, you know, which is a reactive thing. Like I'm listening to the beat and I'm like kind of uh, doing that it's more like i just know what you know it's it's that knowing what's going to happen because you have read ahead a bunch of times right right yeah kind of yeah i mean and, and i think that there's like a difference between like intuition and 
I don't know, whatever else it is that is the opposite of intuition. Sorry, I really should have figured out how that like sentence was going like, yeah, like, intuition versus yeah. memorization. Like in the, you know, in a music Tracks. game, like a good rock band track, you can just kind of feel what, what is going to be right for what's coming up, you know, Same yeah, thing, yeah. like, you know, playing, playing along with a song that you don't quite know. And I think that, I think that Natalie has a very astute observation. Like I can totally understand, you know, comparing Ikaruga to mastering a really intricate, intricate classical piece because one word that i would say to apply to it is or applies to it is baroque ikaruga is a very baroque game the yeah absolutely you know and it is one of those things too where it's like that that difference between uh, myself and natalie extends to like all games yes you know without a qualitative thing but like i'm just not interested you know in memorization Mm -hmm. uh as a thing in games like you know elite bait agents made no sense to me like later more advanced stuff because it was based on that kind of just knowing what was going to come up Mm -hmm. and i just don't just don't want to play games where you have to memorize what's next. Right. Um, never like it, it just, it, there's not a, there's not a game where that sounds fun to me, mm-hmm. you know, and I under, I understand the idea behind it, but I was thinking about it in terms of um, fighting games, right? Like when people do uh, really, really elaborate combos right. in a, in a fighting game, there is a prescriptive order of button presses and inputs that you're doing to create those combos and you need to execute on them perfectly over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and that obviously appeals to people because that's that's such a huge part of that genre mm-hmm. but I, when i play fighting games and i don't think i'm bad at fighting games but when i play them it is much more uh, akin to jazz yeah like uh it's 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 like a musical jazz <laughs> and i and i just i, I just I sit down and I, I just you know i just want to react and express yeah you know and those are the two things i like doing in games mm-hmm. you know whereas in music i hate doing that like i don't want to <laughs> improvise i don't want to do a, a solo uh-huh. You know, I, I, I want to play music like I'm executing the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it doesn't work that way for me with games. Yeah. Yep. I so. wouldn't I wouldn't call myself somebody who loves like improvising a solo. But, you know, again, I I just prefer games that lean more in intuition. Um, yeah. And observation in the moment as opposed to, you know, over a massive period of time. <laughs> you know, again, yeah. it's, it's that demand for perfection, right? That would that, yeah. we, that we're always going to, you know, if not like outright reject, at least chafe against or push up, push back against. Yeah, exactly. And that, that just it's interesting that it, it does extend to to all all stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it extends to all, all the ways that I play games. Yep. You know, and other people uh, feel differently, which is also cool. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad that those games exist you know, for them. Yep. I'm, I'm glad that I have rhythm heaven and I'm glad that people who love elite beat agents have elite beat agents. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I'm glad the theming of elite beat agents exists. Yep. <laughs> and I hope they never make another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, not necessarily true. I can no, ignore no. it. it, it like, just, give me, D, give me a DLC of that, uh, that steamed hands video. That's an elite beat agent chart or OAN chart. <laughs> I, has there, has there not been a steamed hands, but it's elite beat agents. Oh, there absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. I've never seen it, but there has to be. Yep. As we, as we reach peak ham. <laughs> as we reach peak ham. <laughs> yeah, d- 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 as depicted by the uh, 1980s uh, uh, movie, uh, Trading Places. Eddie Murphy and uh, what's his name? Dan Aykroyd. Peak ham. That's, that, was a, that was a plot point. Pork belly. Pork belly oh, spending. Yeah. yeah. Boy, yeah, it took me a little while to get where you're going with that no, one. No, no, it's fine. I've I just... seen that movie too. I just, I was like, <laughs> that's, some, that's some deep cut. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's some, some Trading Places lore. <laughs> I just, I, I love the climax of that movie. It's a very good, uh, it, it is a very good ending to a movie. Um, also, uh, Natalie referred to a level there, reality. Uh, if you don't remember, reality is the one where you're just kind of like hanging out around that uh, satellite. It's the one yeah. that is entirely like the ro- the rotating, um, the rotating level. 
Yeah. Yep. And again, like it's only like you have to, you know, even to make any kind of progress in it to like really appreciate that level. I do think you just kind of have to know the path. Yep. Know the pathing for it. So, yeah. Um, Fred writes via contact. I'm going to be honest. I was very worried when you announced you were going to be looking at bullet hell shooters, but I think you guys handled, handled it as well as you could with WAF's approach for a bit of context. I'm by no means an expert player, but I'm somewhere between what I would consider hardcore schmuck players and you two. Uh, I'm not sure who told you Ikaruga was a good entry point, but you shouldn't believe anything they say ever again. <laughs> again that, that, that was us. It was us who, yeah. who, who thought that. So yeah. that creates more problems, actually. <laughs> yeah, if I can't believe anything I ever say again, that, 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 that's, that's some real like this statement is a lie. Logical fallacy, brain blowing up shit. Yep. I, I've just dissolved into static. Um, huh. <laughs> it, it, it continues. Uh, let's see here again. I'm no expert, but it's definitely too hard for me. Ikaruga is in a lot of ways, pretty archaic. What with the limited difficulty options you noted on the episode, most modern bullet hell shooters have a far wider set of difficulty options in both directions. Ikaruga also has the polarity mechanic to learn on top of learning a new, a new genre. I was happy you decided to play Jamestown as well as Ikaruga as Jamestown is a very good entry point for the genre. Jamestown is invested in giving players the basic bullet hell skill set. Other bullet hell shooters, by and large, expect you to just put it uh, just to put in the time uh, or that you've already put in the time with another, another game. Shmups may only have a running time of 15 to 30 minutes, but I expect to spend about 20 to 40 hours over the course of weeks or even months learning the game. It's a genre where success requires you to be okay with failing and learning uh, to see when you're off your game and should stop for the day. As for the whole hitboxes thing, well, I'm not sure how the bullet hell genre would work without small hitboxes. That said, bullet hell shooters aren't the only kind of shmup around these days. They're rarer, uh, but there are still some method shooters around. Uh, that have larger hitboxes and hue closer to Gradius and R-Type than Ikaruga and Jamestown. I would recommend Super Hydora by Loco Melito uh, for an excellent home play-focused method shooter. I had hmm. never heard of Super Hydora before, so thank you. I've never heard of Method Shooter, and I hope that he someday reunites with Red Shooter <laughs> and, and uh, they form the Wu-Tang Shooters. Yep. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I hope that method shooter, uh, gets back into acting so he can make the sequel to how high. Yeah. I would, I would be way into that. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. So that, that's interesting. Um, I've also never heard that, that phrase, I guess the other thing too, like in the elaborate exercise that was this month in learning that this genre wasn't really for me, uh -huh. like despite how much I loved like Jamestown is that idea of like a 30 minute game that you play over the course of 40 hours. Yeah. Um, like something I was talking, um, I w went on vacation, I was hanging out with a network friend uh, and friend friend, Jeremy Greer, a lot. And we were just talking about games as two uh, gigantic dorky game podcasters do when they're hanging out. Mm -hmm. And just like that, that drive to like see a new thing that's important to me. So like the comparison, you know, you're going to be okay with death. That's something that pops up a lot in Souls, mm -hmm. right? But in Souls, like it's, you know, I got, you can get through the first, like get up and see the fifth level of Ikaruga, like fairly easily, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> with the uh, difficulty options provided. Like I like seeing the new thing, you know, I, I want to learn about a new level or new enemy and have new kind of mechanics or intri intricacies like hoisted upon me, mm -hmm. literally running in the, the same kind of thing over and over until mastery is not appealing. 
and that's again like going into that like uh even when i play like uh, a game that you can compare this to you know something like rhythm heaven which does have that uh that high score like mastery like you can master it mm-hmm. and get 100 percent on those things uh, i never do that i do enough to pass because i want to hear the next song and see the next cute animation mm-hmm. you know I, I that that extra that fluff that comes to the side is really important to me like i want to see a new thing yeah you know, and these just aren't built for that. It's just that that kind of like practicing over and over until you master this one 30 second or 30 minute loop. Yeah. Uh, and that's also just a thing that just it's hard for me to get into. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, uh, on one hand, you could probably look at a desire for novelty, which I definitely share. You can look at a, a desire for novelty as shallow, but also a desire for novelty as all is a basic human drive right yeah like it is it, it is a thing that is you know the, the, that is built into some of us that is more strongly expressed in some people than others right yes yeah it's why i think it's why um you know in full like we're recording this at the same time we're going to record bioshock 2 and like we haven't started talking about it and you and i haven't talked about it at all so i don't know what kind of episode that's going to be if it's going to be a classic cage match or, or what but one of the reasons why i'm good with bioshock 2 is essentially being a level pack is because i just I'm fine kind of playing with those mechanics that I know pretty well, even though they do introduce new ones, mm-hmm. but I want to see new stuff. Yep. Like I just want to go into a new environment and see some new enemies and hear some new dialogue and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think that's, uh, that's, re- that's really valuable. Yeah. Um, I'm going to withhold my opinion so people can uh, have something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. And I, I will wait with bated breath <laughs> and uh, on one hand yeah. I'm, I'm uh, getting my, my shaking hand ready. My like white gloved, like gentleman's like shaking hand and the other hand i'm i'm slowly loading a shotgun (laughs) because it's it's time to go into the blast zone where gary and cole face off about games yeah ninja turtles versus power rangers which one wins the nostalgia race 2000 (laughs) (laughs) that's that's our end game if we decide we need more revenue Yeah, that, that, that's when we decide to suck. At some point, we will make all the money we can make by not being absolute shit. And we'll have to make do be absolute shit in order to survive. <laughs> hey, guys. Like, we're <laughs> like, uh, anywho, uh, this is cool. I didn't know this happened. Yeah. Thanks for surprising me. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, sorry I cut you off there. No, no, it's fine. Uh, this is from Halstead Larson, who is one of the developers on Jamestown. Yeah, thanks. That, that's that's great. I mean, I so far like this could end with a death threat. I don't know. Uh, let me go ahead and read. Uh, so, Halstead says, uh, "By conduct, thank you so much for your recent episode on Ikaruga slash Jamestown. It was incredibly gratifying to hear you both talk about how much you appreciated the learning curve in that game. The level gating that you pointed out was one of the most agonizing decisions we made. And hearing from anyone, let alone uh, let alone you, I assume, as a pleasant surprise in my latest commute uh, buddy podcast is deeply heartwarming." Um, teaching people how to play was a core value for all of us here working on the game. There are a lot of mechanics and ideas that got left on the cutting room floor because they stood in the way of uh, players learning how to have fun. All of us grew up as lovers of the genre, but we also knew that uh, many of the games out there punished inexperience rather than supporting it. Ironically, we decided to keep the bullet hell staple uh, tiny hitboxes because they were one of the few and far between features of bullet hell shooters that actually do support new learners. It's a margin of error in a genre defined by one-hit kills. Thank you again for your attention and uh, the warm fuzzies, and thank you for also giving me a solid back catalog of Souls lore. I've just made it through Dark, uh, Dark, your Dark Souls one take, and have successfully gotten and has successfully gotten me to open my heart once again to Dark Souls two. And thanks, Halstead. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank That's you for a, making a very good game. <laughs> yeah, thank you for making a great game, and we really, really do appreciate it. And uh, we we get real cranky when we get to Dark Souls two. 
So don't, I, I you know, <laughs> just, just look out because it, it happens and, and some people get mad about it. Um, I didn't think of the hitbox thing as a margin for error, but that's an interesting way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because of course it works that way, like a displacer beast. Yeah. You know, but I, I just, I, I think it depends on how far the game leans on it. Like if you need to, to use that, like, you know, yeah. you, you, there are times where you have to actually squeeze through on that tiny little bit or whether it's just like a bonus and something can near miss you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's, that that's the tension, right? If it's like, okay, we're, we want to put more bullets on the screen, but it's impossible not to die. Oh, well, let's shave some pixels off of the ship and then you're good. And then we can, yeah, we, we had- can put more bullets on. We had to make it make it small enough too, but yeah, I didn't. It was hard for me to think of that as player friendly, mm-hmm. but it definitely impacted me in Nicaragua as an annoyance more than it did in Jamestown. Yeah, so um, I, I I feel like a smart boy for identifying that teaching players to play was a value of the of, of the game and of the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, may, it makes total sense, mm-hmm. you know, from that, and that is uh, it's 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 valuable. I think that that happens where if you get so deep in something that you can just assume everyone has knowledge that you don't have, but Mm -hmm. it's valuable to remind yourself like everything's hard until you know how to do it. Yep. And uh, I think, I think that you you guys did a great job with that. Yeah. I appreciate all the, uh, all the thought and effort and agony because it paid off. So yeah. Yeah. And thanks. uh, Thanks for listening. Yeah. I I always get, I always get a a little thrill when somebody kind of famous listens to the show. Yeah. That's very sweet. Um, moving on to Breath of the Wild, what does uh, what does Michael say, Cole? Michael says, uh, via contact, when you were talking about weapon durability, I was surprised that no one brought up what I had just assumed was most people's issue with it. It doesn't allow you, uh, allow you to develop attachment to a weapon. In Dark Souls, I love the feeling of finding the weapon that is perfect for me, lovingly upgrading it, uh, and having it become my best friend by the end of the game. In RPGs, Ownership over my unique weapon, even if it is only semi-unique, is a huge part of the experience that this game uh, trades for a system that may be interesting, but never offered any level of emotional attachment. Personally, my perfect game is one that offers that at every opportunity. Yeah, um, yeah, that that we yeah we missed that, uh, but that is that is a good point. Yeah, for sure. It's also uh, one of the things too, and not to try to make Michael more cranky about. Um, Breath of the Wild, uh, I don't know where his general take is, but the other thing that undermines that aspect of it in Breath of the Wild is the fact that there are only, th- like, three weapon movesets. Mm-hmm. Like, all big, all one-handed weapons more or less act the same. All hammers act, act and axes act like swords. You still swing them the same. Yeah. And there's a real limited uh, moveset. So it's not like Souls where, like, you know, there's maybe a dozen different movesets in Souls. In Breath of the Wild, there are maybe four Yeah. Uh, that weapons share cl- across all of them. Yeah accepting some of the kind of unique elemental versions of weapons um there's very little in the way of like oh this is this is this is the one weapon in this game that acts like this right yes that, like, yeah that, that almost never happens yeah there's like the leaf yeah. and then maybe may, maybe the fire sword <laughs> yeah 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 the uh so the the weapon variety is the other thing that undercuts that yeah. in breath of the wild for sure and it's like you you know when you're making a game you're making choices like we decided we didn't want to have that because we wanted to have this instead. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to every everyone as an individual to decide if that's a good trade off or a bad trade off. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. Um, moving on to uh, Elodie. Uh, it says by contact, Breath of the Wild was absolutely the biggest disappointment in 2017 in terms of games, with no interesting architecture to explore, bland, sterile, and repetitive mini dungeons, and no difficulty curve due to a lack of any direction. Breath of the Wild feels blandly broad and depthless, depth 
effortless, that's, sorry about that, uh, with threadbare mechanics and intensely irritating exploration, the RNG killing all maneuverability and limiting your verb set uh, every five minutes when it starts raining. Characters have no personality, the world has no charm, and it just feels like every other open-world AAA game from the last few years. I enjoyed some parts of the story when they were there, and this iter is, uh, iteration of Zelda herself is by far my favorite. But it, you, it just can't stack up to the other entries in the series, and the further I get from my initial play, playthrough, the more forgettable I feel the game is. If they just focused on making it fun, rather than stuffing it with so many generic open-world mechanics and giving the story any structure, I might have enjoyed it more. But sadly, as it's down, uh, sadly as it is, it's down in the lower end of my Zelda ranking. As an aside, I feel like Nier Automata uh, does everything that Breath of the Wild tries to do, but much, much better. And the world can change drastically around you because they focus on progressing a story in a smaller but still varied open world. So even while being tiny in comparison, it just feels so much more alive. And like anything you do has an effect. Yeah, yeah, I, I still haven't played uh, Nier Automata. Mm -hmm. um that that's probably will end up playing that sometime next year or you know fall or fall on um mm -hmm. so i'll be interested in kind of revisiting that but like the uh it's interesting the way that like breath of the wild um can have kind of a foot in multiple ponds you know like that because like to me i wanted it to go further away from the old old zeldas like mm -hmm. i wanted it to be like totally alone and i liked the you get in the middle of a big empty world like directionless part of it yeah and wanted more of that and then, you know, for LED, like, wanted, you know, a little less of that, like more indoor environments, more structure so they could have an authored difficulty curve. Yeah, auth authored like was the was the word that I that I hooked on for that. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that it kind of, in a way, can end up being like, I like this a lot more than LED did while also thinking it's a pretty overrated game. Mm -hmm. uh, but I liked it a lot more than LED, but it still didn't go in, as far in, in the direction that I wanted, mm -hmm. which it was the direction that she did not. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and at this point, it's you know, it, it is different values, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just something something sitting in the middle of those values mm -hmm. is an interesting spot to be. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I'd be curious to uh to take to, to take a take a look and see how Nier Automata um resembles this because from my from what I know about the game, that is a very surprising statement to see. But yeah, Elodie yeah, has sure. played it where it has played both, whereas I have not. So yeah. 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 So someday we, we can we can revisit yeah. this kind of idea and see if there's there's uh where the, the crossover DNA is. Yeah. Oh. Um Ben writes via contact saying, Breath of the Wild end ended up being the first time I found myself on the opposite side of a gaming phenomenon. I had excitedly waited for its release since it was first announced on Wii U, only to find myself very disappointed once its initial sheen wore off. The loss of traditional Zelda style dungeons for one hundred plus single room puzzle dens simply didn't click well for me. Uh, nothing felt very challenging, and once you unlock all, all of your abilities on the plateau, there didn't seem, to be one, didn't seem to be much to strive for. The massive world with seemingly endless possibilities also wore itself out for me quite quickly. At first, it was very exciting to wander aimlessly finding Koroks, shrines, and enemy camps until I began to see that all there was out there were Koroks, shrines, and enemy camps. Camps which, for the most part, served no purpose other than depleting the durability of the weapons— you liked using and replacing them with another goddamn Boko Club. It's the worst club, man. <laughs> Night of the Roxbury 2 Boko Club. <laughs> uh, the outside of the club is the inside of the club. Um, <laughs> so I've got a lot of like late late 80s, early 90s, like bad comedy movie 
you're in a mood. I'm I'm on yeah. a real tear here. <laughs> it's like you 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 pull up uh, eight hugs, eight heads, and a duffel head, and you're like, hey, big mood. Yeah, uh, I'm very sad <laughs> that very I bad cl- things. I'm <laughs> very happy. Cole. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sad that I call Trading Places a bad movie. I think it's a good movie, but yeah, it, it's, it's good and fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, ben continues. I guess where everything really falls apart for me. Uh, is by giving me every game-changing ability right from the outset. Uh, it eliminates any real sense of progression from the game for me. Uh, there isn't anywhere I can uh, anywhere I can't access an hour into the game. No location blocked by heavy boots or ledge unreachable without a hookshot or spellbook obtainable via dash boots that unlocks even more locations. I guess to wrap up my overlong rambling, there are certainly places uh, to give huge amounts of credit to the devs for making the entire world's physics interact in every in every way imaginable. Uh, but for me, it felt like they forgot to put an actual game into a very impressive Zelda engine. Honorable mention to only having four boss fights all against the same generic Ganon goo. Yeah, the boss fights are, are no great are not, shakes. Not great. Yeah, no great shakes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The um the idea of wanting uh having so two things that that Ben brings up that's been interesting because since we announced this this has been a real hot topic on Slack so uh, I've been been watching a lot of conversation like participating in in several and then also watching lots of conversations mm-hmm. on Slack about it and a lot of people um, were surprised uh, someone was talking about how they were surprised we didn't give more hell to the um the Yiga base yeah, uh, yeah. you know. They were like, oh, this is you know kind of bullshit in the middle of this thing. And I realized I was like, yeah, I just didn't have that experience. And it's because I came to it so late. I was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Like it's static. And it's just like if I got caught, it wasn't the end of the world. Like I can imagine that being very different if you go there second, which is what the guide wants you to do. Oh, wow. You know, so the idea being, you know, then it would be like you have to be stealthy. But hmm. for me, it's like I just I had a whole arsenal and tons of hearts and I had an entire grocery store in my pocket. <laughs> you know, like it's just a produce section that I'm, <laughs> that I'm floating around with that, like, means I have unlimited health, more or less. You trip over a rock and an Aldi falls out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I go I, I shield surf the cart cart down to the return. <laughs> and then back up. Get your quarterback. The, uh, so it's like that that nonlinearity. Uh, of it does just kind of, you know, the, the thing that I stumbled upon when we did those episodes is that like, you know, breath of the wild is an A plus game for the first like certain number of hours because mm-hmm. a lot of its systems just kind of fall away. And that's one of them Yeah, that, uh, that kind of desperation, you know, where the, the, the meat wall section can work against you. Eventually you just outpace all that, mm-hmm. you know, and then it, it, that nonlinearity doesn't help anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I wanted to include, uh, make it make it balanced between the uh, between the what the what and the oh yes, um, yeah about uh, you know about Breath of the Wild because it is a polarizing game. We are, you know, one of the things that we get by talking about more recent games is we, you know, talk about things that may be in the backlash zone, and Breath of the Wild certainly is. It it's it's it took a long time for Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. To get to get to any kind of backlash zone, yeah, you know, for for me to hear anything negative, anything other than glowing praise about it, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's finally there, and well, it'll balance out, and it, I think it'll be kind of just thought of as like this is a really really great game, yeah, you know, but just the uh, perhaps not the life changing experience <laughs> that uh, originally was, and the, the idea of uh, we we talked about this during the episode as well. Like, I really wish the four champions each gave you a meaningful upgrade. Yes. Because that idea, you know, where he says, like, after you got the plateau, you don't get any more powers and stuff. That is a bummer. Mm-hmm. You know, that would give you a good reason to explore. And they did one fourth of it. You know, like it is it is very fun to get Rivali's Gale. 
it is not fun to get any of the other abilities really <laughs> right it is not but, i mean like it's useful to have the auto re-raise or whatever but like it's not a new verb you know it it, it saves you from hitting start yep because again you have that grocery <laughs> store in your pocket so yeah. like all you have to do is hit start to not die yeah you know it, it's it's just if you if you forget to play the game for a second you're okay you know yeah. so it's still cool like it's it's like it saved my life many a time uh-huh but it's not that exciting right what does uh what does luke say um this is you oh this is me what? Uh, i'm luke luke says via contact uh i was so excited when i heard you mention that you have a breath of the wild episode coming up this is in my opinion the best game ever made and like dark souls uh ever since finishing it i've been desperately seeking out content to let me continue to experience it again vicariously i'm a huge zelda fan in love with the aesthetics and imagery uh who has been enjoying every installment uh, i have a skyward sword tattoo uh, exclamation point but i have no problem admitting that it was in dire need of a refresh i think breath of the wild does a perfect job of capturing that amazing feeling of going on an adventure and that wonderful world building that the uh, of the, of the and the wonderful world building of the zelda series while dragging into dragging it into a much more dynamic formula when i explored ruined castles and expansive old battlefields i really felt that this was a world that needed saving unlike skyward sword on the other hand when I entered the villages and interact with people, I felt like it was a world that I wanted to save, unlike the dour Twilight Princess. Where I feel the game is most deserving of praise is Zelda herself. She is a strong but fallible character, and learning little bits about her and uh, her relationship with Link built my connection. She didn't feel like yet another Nintendo damsel in distress, but like she was as much, if not more so, the, of a hero than I am. This was especially refreshing for, a Ninten uh, for Nintendo, who put out yet another kidnapped Prince, uh, Peach Mario game in the same year. This is truly the legend of Zelda. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's it's the, the things that you don't like about Skyward Sword are the things that I don't like about Skyward Sword either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, you know, there are some of them. Like, I just didn't, you know, or or uh, Twilight Princess. Mm -hmm. It was just enough to sink it for me. So, like, I, I like this more than those games, too, but just, like, take everything down a bunch. You know, to sink those last two into things into into the no zone, <laughs> and, and this into not to the best ever game, you know, zone. Right, just put put a compressor limiter on this. Yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah. I, the, the, this is it's not an opinion that I see very often. The I was fine with them as they were, but was willing to admit that they had that they needed a refresh. Yeah. Like that. That yeah. is so outside the narrative around this game. Yeah. 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 You know, and and the 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 last two as well. Mm -hmm. Where like those games sold well and got you know reviewed pretty well and such too, but it's pretty rare that I hear somebody be kind of non-apologetic about Skyward Sword. Mm -hmm. You know specifically, like I know Twilight Princess has kind of more of its defenders, but like yeah. you know Skyward Sword is a is a rough putt. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it's interesting to hear somebody who's just like, yeah, I like those. Those mm -hmm. are good. This is just better. Yep. You know, like this is also great. Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, and in a lot of ways, I'm I'm very in for a you know porque no los dos uh, kind of kind of mindset. Even if I am also like I I couldn't bring myself to finish Twilight Princess, and I played yeah. like the first dungeon in Skyward Sword and was like, nah. Uh, yeah, Skyward Sword is is a rough one, I think. Um, and it is interesting that the stuff with Zelda, which we talked about, where I think I expressed some frustration in the episode because I wanted them to go further with it, mm -hmm. um, and and also talked about how it is better than maybe you can expect. You know, like it is a, it is a, an, a Zelda with agency. Yes. You know, which we, we haven't always had. Like I would, would I rather had a game where you get to be Zelda? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think it's time to upset the formula that much. Yes. You know, but, um, 
the uh, which is why we're covering uh, the CDI wand of Gamelon <laughs> uh, after this. The uh, or no, that's, uh, whatever one is the the Zelda one. Surprise, surprise, upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Matt writes via contact saying, "Hey, I was listening to your first Breath of the Wild episode on the early feed and had a quick comment and a book recommendation." I recently read Against the Grain, a deep history of the early estates by James Scott. I guess he studies anarchist societies and stuff. And in this book, he argues that early states would go back and forth between eras of organized states and so-called dark ages when society would, quote, collapse. According to his studies, these dark ages weren't dark at all. People just weren't writing stuff down because there weren't taxes and militaries and the like that make up the bulk of the, uh, of the official history. Instead, people lived relatively, relatively peaceful lives as subsistence farmers until such a time as states reformed and reasserted power. It seems likely that a century after an apocalyptic event, society would look more like Breath of the Wild than like Mad Max or something. Anyway, I'm sure Nintendo wasn't thinking of this when they made Breath of the Wild, but, uh, uh, but I was while replaying it. It certainly recasts the cheery, non-apocalyptic world of the game and your quest to kind of, sort of, reestablish a monarchy. Maybe the way to win is just to keep exploring and let Hyrule remain wild. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Yep. You know, I, w- I would love to see that as text <laughs> in the game. Like, that would what a cool, you know, like, at this point, man, like, if you're going to try to flip the apple cart on Zelda, just mm-hmm. throw do everything like do it you know i would love like what if the ending of this was like a souls like choice like (laughs) we can bring back the monarchy who screwed up or you know because again you know we said it during the episode like breath of the wild is a verdant paradise Mm -hmm. you know it is is not a post-apocalyptic game like everyone everyone in the world is incredibly happy Mm -hmm. and nature is thriving and it's beautiful yeah you just have some of these death bots around but you can tame the death bots and not reestablish the monarchy it becomes like kind of a reverse image demon souls kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like opposed to being the world is so shitty. Should we trash it and start over? It's like the world's pretty good. Do we want to risk starting over? Yeah. You set out a Zelda and then over the course of the quest, you realize that the world is better off without it. Without that would you. be really cool. Yeah. I would, I would love that. That would be a great way for, you know, for them to take the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, that's very interesting. Read. And it, um, I, I feel a little bit, a little bit bad. Uh, for not considering that that's what you were doing is reestablishing the monarchy and setting the state back up when oh yeah yeah you i mean you shouldn't the game doesn't do anything right right sell that like you shouldn't you know yeah that's and i i don't i don't think that matt is implying that that's like the secret message of the game and no, you should be no, picking no. that up from the game i think it's just like that's a cool interpretation that i wish had been text like yes. you know you could write a really stretching essay that that's what you're doing mm-hmm. but really you know the 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 text of the thing is somebody who's like i'm happy farming watermelons they're a village's specialty we want one do you want a watermelon <laughs> they're 15 rupees like it's not there in the right. game it's it's just something the player can bring to it so you should you shouldn't feel bad for not picking it up yeah yeah you know um yeah uh, tron says via contact <clears throat> Breath of the Wild is a fantastic game. It's beautiful, varied, and utterly engaging. I had periods of time that I simply ran around the world exploring, looking for new sites and interesting traversal challenges. It really is a game that, for me, captures the essence of the Zelda games and expresses the adventure and freedom that the games have tried to fake but never truly succeeded in embodying. I have even more happy memories from this game as it turned into a game I played together with my wife. There are a few games like this that my wife and I co-op that we co-play and is a fantastic experience. We ended up swapping the controller depending on the situation. 
Any larger combat encounter was her domain. She would dive bomb into groups of enemies, dodge around the biggest, baddest moblins and lionels, fearlessly sprint around the guardians, and generally kick everyone's ass. I, on the other hand, am a minor patience elemental. Uh, very minor for fear of comparing myself to the magnificence that is Lobos Jr., <laughs> uh, who is the king patience elemental, for people who don't know. Yes. Uh, and I would scale every hill, climb to the top of every building, and endlessly wander around craggy landscapes looking for the elusive shrines. Shrines were also a great expression of collaborative play for us. Again, she doesn't really have the patience for extended puzzle solving, but she has a keen eye for discrepancies in the surroundings and would easily spot where we needed to go, uh, what we needed to blow up, or simply point out overhanging platforms with treasure chests that I was convinced was just a piece of wall. Listening to your podcast about it has ignited the need to play it again. Whether we will continue on our old save, there are still Korok seeds to find in a few shrines, or if we start up a new game and go exploring once again, it will be great. Uh, P.S. I will not hear a bad word about Broccoli Dad. <laughs> he is glorious and festive, and I can't help but smile at his silly maraca as his uh, silly maracas jiggle every time, even though I do agree that the Korok seed gathering gets tedious after a while. <laughs> the Broccoli uh, Dad defense force. Broccoli Dad should have been drowned in his crib. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Go back in time and, and kill Broccoli. Go back to 1963 and kill Broccoli Dad before he can make Broccoli Sons. Um yeah, Broccoli Dad's fine. Yeah. I wish he didn't move. <laughs> I wish he was a statue. Yeah, I wish he was a statue or... of Broccoli yeah. Dad. I, w- I wish it was like uh, Lieutenant Dan. Like, oh, that's why yeah. I say I wish he didn't move. Like I, I wish that he was, you know, uh, bro- like Broccoli FDR. Mm, yeah. You know? Or, yeah. or you know, f- 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 Fetter, uh, Fra- Franklin Daddy O. Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah. The Broccoli Dad president. <laughs> the the beatnik Broccoli Dad? <laughs> yeah. <It's> like <laughs> Franklin Daddy O. Roosevelt. <laughs> hey hip cats it's the new deal uh-huh. um the but yeah i just uh, chasing him around was pretty frustrating yeah but he's he's fine yeah um yeah yeah uh, and th- i love those i love playing a game with somebody where it's not necessarily a co-op game but it's definitely like an experience with two people like that yeah i i don't i don't have a significant other but i really enjoy uh hearing stories about people who you know still manage to share this hobby even in games and instances where it is not traditionally like we are both holding a controller and doing something you know yeah that's a yeah, yeah. that's that's a great thing about knowing dennis uh first off he's a really thoughtful and nice guy and a good friend uh but also he and his wife play games together all the time and they always talk about uh you know the the ways that they uh make that work together mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh moving on yes. what we have is uh responses of hearts of stone gary i want to make a proposal okay lots of people who listen to the show have said that they do not uh they they haven't played witcher 3 and they're kind of waiting to get around to it do you Mm -hmm. want to do the admin now and then do hearts of stone after the admin oh uh, sure yeah i mean let's leave this in so it makes it makes sense for people but like yeah that that sounds fine like i mean we we talked about this during the episode but it will reiterate here just in case you haven't heard of it like if you don't like witcher 3 or if you think it you won't like it Mm -hmm. and just you know you know yourself whether you're going to play it right like Mm -hmm. I have all the spiderweb software games on my computer. I, I'm probably not going to play those. I keep thinking I'm going to do it. You're a Vernum reverse. Yeah, we, we both know the, the truth. Yes. Well, it's like I, I want to play them. Like, I think that they look great. <laughs> yeah. Am I going to do it? Maybe oh, not. Yeah. You know, like you know, my retirement pile. If you have The Witcher 3 in your retirement pile and you know that you're probably not going to get to it, play Hearts of Stone, though. Yeah. Because it's ex- extremely good. It's self-contained. Mm-hmm. Like, not entirely self-contained. You know, it's not perfect at that, but it's pretty good at it. And you get one of my favorite stories in video games. Yes. Um, so let's do admin real quick and then come back for your Hearts of Stone. Yes. Content. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, so thank you everybody for listening to this. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Uh, the monthly donations that we get there help us, you know, A, live off of doing the shows, but B, do things like appear at the Midwest Gaming Classic, like we are doing um, from April the 13th through the 15th. Yes. Yeah, you should 100%, if you're anywhere in that region, you should 100% come and say hi. Yes, that is uh, uh, in Milwaukee. Yes, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, short putt from from northern Illinois, from those the, those kind of surrounding areas. Uh, we will be uh, tabling all weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's us splitting a table with the Retronauts guys. Yep. So you get to, uh, you can meet us, you can meet those guys. And they're very nice. So don't be in, don't be intimidated by us and don't be intimidated by them. Mm-hmm. And uh, come come say hi. And we'll be doing a live talk about Donkey Kong 94, yep. the Game Boy Donkey Kong. Uh, that is great. I love it so much. It says so in the back, the, the Game Boy Donkey Kong, that is great. <laughs> I started playing it and then stopped so I could be a little bit fresher yeah. for it. I know I'm, I'm trying to work on that, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it was hard to put down Yeah, because I think that game is really good and fun. Yeah, I've had to kind of pin myself to doing like four or five levels at a time. Yeah, and yeah. it's it uh, it's on the, the 3DS eShop, uh, plays, plays wonderfully on the 3DS, mm-hmm. take it on the go. Yeah. So uh, we'd love to see you if you come up uh, and introduce yourself and we've interacted with you online under a screen name or something. Leave it at that because, you know, we'll greet you warmly, but knowing who you are is also good, too. Well, you'll get extra warm. Yes. Great. We'll slip a hot hands into your pocket. <laughs> the, <laughs> like, the, uh, yeah. Um, also, if you come up, I, I made uh, some some unique Souls of Darkness magnets because I've been ordering uh, stickers and stuff for Atomic and they gave me a promotional deal. So I have, uh, and they're unique. They are magnets of the, the fake, uh, Japanese logo logo uh-huh. of it, uh, that the Nick made. Hmm. And, uh, so I made 50 of them. I'm not gonna make any more. So if you come up to us at that table, I'll give you one. Slide one of them back for me, man. Yeah, I, I will. Yeah. I'm going to keep a couple of them just so I can have a uh, same way. I have like, you know, one set of those pogs that are now the rarest thing in the world. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so you can get some unique stuff there. <laughs> I'll have some other, I'll have some other book stuff there as well um that you can pick up from the table yeah so we'd love Mm -hmm. to see you i'd love to talk to you um yeah Mm -hmm. um again we we mentioned that patreon is patreon.com slash duck uh that is how you vote in polls that's how you pick games breath of the wild was uh picked and guested on by john hurst Mm -hmm. uh you know big thank you again uh just just to john for being so supportive and being a great guest uh on the episode you can join the ranks of people such as john Mm -hmm. uh through patreon all those slots are filled at the moment but they will open up um, and yeah, we would, we would love to, love to have you. We like those, those episodes a lot. Very much so. so we got, we got other ones coming up soon. Um, you can also rate and review the show on iTunes and um, we've gotten some nice reviews lately mm-hmm. and, uh, that is heartening. Yes. Uh, we should talk about what we are doing next month and then the month after that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into it. So, uh, next month we April. are doing April, uh, Bioshock two. We're recording it in just a couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's coming soon baby yeah. we are doing the bioshock 2 dlc minerva's den yes yeah um extremely excited about that um after that we're we have another guest episode we're doing uh ultima underworld mm-hmm. the uh the first one which is something you know the daddy of all event crawlers like the 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 father of the immersive sim yeah, yeah. so i'm excited to dig to dig into that yeah me too i've uh i played the first level and i need to pick it back up yeah i'm really excited um I'm going to try to for that appendix uh, hunt down Steve. Uh, Steve and Carla and either get them on the show or talk to them at least mm-hmm. and get some some Bioshock two stories. Yeah, um, a bunch of people mentioned that, um, and it would be cool to do. It's also GDC right now, 
Yes. And uh, those folks are super busy, so I just don't want to impose on their time. So that may or may not happen. This is not a promise. Mm -hmm. uh, just I will try to, even if it just ends up being like, you know, we we have a meal and ask them some questions. Yeah. So it, it will some kind of content will come with that because uh, that's where they got their start, and it's amazing. You can find a. Uh, there's like a like Gainer brand peaches, <laughs> I think in uh, Bioshock Two, and then in the DLC there's like a uh, like Carla brand, and it's like um, uh, test tubes or something like that. Nice, uh, something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so April, we're uh, it's time to announce what we are doing there. Uh, so the first thing we need, oh yes, May. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to do April again. Get another take in. Uh, yeah, let's just do, let's, we're just going to do April twice. Yeah. <laughs> Lousy, smart weather. Um, no, so May, the first game we're doing there is Call of Juarez Gunslinger. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, something I want to do for a long time. And uh, I like the, uh, you know, Titanfall 2 has gotten me thirsty for 12 hour shooters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it is a, it is an interesting game if you don't don't know about it. It is not a the generic Western that kind of the earlier games kind of were. Yeah, it has a uh, has a storyteller conceit to it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned polls, Gary. Uh, the second game in May is going to be another poll game. Yes. Um, we are doing uh, the reboot poll. <laughs> uh, which episode of reboot will we watch? Will it be the one where they fight a virus or the one where they fight an e-worm? Is it the one where the computer gets the internet? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because that's a thing. That's a... <laughs> Fucking reboot, man. Um, <laughs> no, uh, we have five kind of notable uh, revamps or re-ups of, um, you know, kind of, kind of long run, long running franchises. And this, uh, this very, we just kind of put this together right before we recorded. So this does not include remasters. Um, mm -hmm. that might be an idea for another poll. Yeah. But if you're thinking like, why isn't this on there? That could be why. Yes. Um, um so Gary, I sent you the list. <laughs> oh, thank Slack. you. Cause yeah, yeah, we, we just talked about it. So I don't quite remember. Let me, uh, let me pull up that list mm -hmm. here in the, uh, titular Slack. Yeah. Um, everyone's talking about it. Here it is, baby. It's a uh, while this loads. I can say it's something if you uh, join us on Patreon, mm -hmm. you get access to this. Yeah. Um, so the list uh, five games. First one, Silent Hill Shattered Memories. Remake of Silent Hill one, except it is more narrative based and more focused on pursuit. It's a very yes. interesting game. Doom 2016, a very popular uh, recent shooter that uh, does some really great stuff with like the rhythm of a frenetic shooter. Yes, that the game has one of the best paces yes. of any video game. And also, I think it is the absolute best depiction of hell that I've ever seen in a game. I My jaw dropped and continued <laughs> to drop. Every time I went to hell, I thought it was the coolest shit that ever was. I love that game. Um, also a game I, I very dear to my heart, uh, Wolfenstein The New Order. Um, a lot of people talked about wanted us to do uh, the new Colossus. I think we will at some point. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But this is on the poll. And again, the reminder that something beyond a poll doesn't mean we won't do it. Right. Even if it loses the poll, um, this is that remake of Wolfenstein that surprised everybody by kind of doing the opposite of what the Doom uh, one did mm -hmm. by taking is like, what happens if we do add emotion and character to this? Yeah. Uh, what happens? And it works like that game is a, a game that has an emotionally affecting scene that takes place in like Auschwitz. Yeah. Uh, you know, but that, that ends with you climbing into a mech and, and liberating it. Nice. So it is uh, that game has an amazing uh, right you know, balance us on an amazing tightrope. Yeah. Um, it is the most shameful game on my pile of shame right now. The oh, game I am most it, ashamed of having not played yet. So it's really good. Yeah. Like if we end up doing it for that. And again, you know, even if it doesn't win the poll, we'll end up doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so other than that, uh, Mega Man powered up the PSP kind of update of Mega Man one. Mega Man mm -hmm. one is archaic and kind of hard to go back to, 
Mega Man Powered Up is kind of a cute, uh, it's got kind of a cute chibi aesthetic, but also makes Mega Man 1's levels and ideas just a little bit more pleasant to interact with. Makes them work. And it has a level editor in it. Yep. I'm pretty sure that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, time. And then finally, Metroid Zero Mission, the remake of Metroid 1. Very similar thing. Like Metroid mm-hmm. 1 is semi-playable now, but I feel like Zero Mission kind of obviates it. Yes. So. So. Um, again, go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv uh, to vote on that poll. Um, it'll probably be up as of the time you're listening to it. Yes. And I, I expect this one to be a real barn bowler. Barn <laughs> bowler? A barn bowler, yeah. It's not actually that hard to, like, roll a bowling ball, like barnstorming, but with barn bowling. Yeah. Like, it's a wide aperture. Like, I'm not a good bowler, but I feel like I could do it. Uh, but, like, most barn floors are uneven. They're dirt. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, it's more about power than than precision. Right. You got to gotta, gotta yeah. charge through. The only way out is through. Yeah. Um, after that, we are doing Bayonetta. Uh, this is a Patreon pick. Again, you know, if you go to that Patreon, you can sometimes pick games uh, for us to do dictate them. Mm-hmm. We're doing Bayonetta, which mm-hmm. I love. I've played Bayonetta. I've never beat it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really looking forward to, and not because of, you know, I didn't like it just because stuff got in the way. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to uh, to giving that a serious shot. Yeah, I'm about halfway through it right now. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Again, the only thing stopping me from playing it is that I have, you know, I'm trying to be a little closer to recording time. So I'm mm-hmm. like looking at Ultima Underworld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, it's, that, it's that meme. <laughs> I'm looking over at Bayonetta, but my girlfriend, Ultima Underworld, is in front of me holding my hand. This is my girlfriend, Ultima Underworld. Hi. Uh, yeah. Hello. Um, uh, and then the final one, uh, the final episode is, is, is a bit of a redo itself. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this because so people, you know, with good memories will remember that in the fall, we typically do kind of topic episodes. In the spring. Uh, spring, rather. And those are some of my favorites. Like we've done, that's where we did Nintendo Power. That's where we did uh, Game Books. Things like that. I think those are weird, good episodes. Yeah. Um, so we're doing one of those this year as well. It's just a little bit later in the year. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing it on arcades. So we have done arcades in the past. Um, that mm-hmm. was, that was kind of a real experimental episode for us. We're going to go back to it. Uh, Gary, what's yeah. the structure for those going to be? So as opposed to in the arcade episode, we did talk about some individual arcade games, but it was a lot of memories and stuff. And uh, this one we're actually, so we're going to each take, you know, 20 bucks or whatever, 20, $25. Get some quarters, uh, go down to our local arcades and kind of choose three games to like, I'm going to get the complete, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to mm-hmm. do the arcade experience for this. Um, you know, a variety of games uh, for each of us. And it's going to be kind of like a book report. Yeah. So each of us are going to choose three games uh, at our local arcades, go down in a few afternoons to, uh, to beat them and then come back and talk about them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be interesting and weird. Um, I need to go. I'm really hoping the ground control, uh, kind of remodel. Mm-hmm finishes by then otherwise i might go over to quarter world and uh get my lock-in on ninja baseball batman oh jesus um so the uh not yeah yeah that's a that, that's a fun game <laughs> that's a that's a that's a that's a really fun game um yeah this this will be this will be a fun weird episode mm-hmm. and uh arcades are such a huge part of you know gaming we don't want to fall into that trap where like they're just huge swaths of video gaming that we just ignore mm-hmm. you know and arcades are a real big part of it yeah so so I'm excited uh, there is, like this. This is weirdly possible to do now. Um, yeah. I like uh, all major cities have a, an arcade again. Yeah. And even yeah. moderate cities like Cincinnati, yeah. I have several options that I can pick from. So, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I, know, I, it, I it, just it, have to go down to the BW threes and play uh golden tea. Yeah. <laughs> just Although golden... if you come in with golden tea, big buck hunter and big buck hunter too. <laughs> all yeah, three gold, games. Golden tea is pretty fun. I like a trackball golf game. Here, here's what we got. Golden tea. 
uh, billiards <laughs> and, and uh, dart and the bad darts with the plastic board. Those are the three arcade games I have. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I hate golden tea. So if you, oh. if, uh, yeah, I, I just, it hurts my hand mm. to do it no. like kind of bad. Oh, like I, I've slammed my palm in an uncomfortable way many a time. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and, and big bug hunter, man, if you, if you haven't seen, a uh, like a modern big bug, big buck hunter, those games got real, real dumb. But <laughs> no one was looking. <laughs> it's just like, I'll just sit there and be doing a bar and I'll look up and then on the screen, it'll just be like a zombie dolphin or something like coming out of the ocean. And then, and then, uh, and then it'll switch to big buck hunter. I'm like, wait, those things have nothing to do with each other. Y'all forgot about uncle buck hunter. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Buck Hunter would be a great game. <laughs> Kill that. Fire. I mean, I guess it's, you know, now, now that nobody gets candy. <laughs> so, no. Candy was too good. For tr- us. Tr- truly the rarest candy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who was buried in John Candy's tomb? Um, it's just Mike and Ike's. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> We, t- we took a while to go through that, but we, let's let's go over it again. Call of War's Gunslinger, uh, our reboots poll. You can go to Patreon to see that. Bayonetta, and then our arcades special. Absolutely. If you have anything to say about the Bioshock games and Ultima Underworld, the deadline for that is April 15th. If you have anything to say about those games that Cole just mentioned, that's May 15th. It is always the 15th of the month that the episodes are on, uh, mm-hmm. except for this one time because of travel, but that's usually what we're going for. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Um, let's get these hearts of stone responses out there. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, this is Tom. Me. Oh, this is you. Oh, fuck man. Yeah. Okay. Go. <laughs> uh, so Tom says via contact, thank you so much for covering my favorite story in Witcher three. I'm always a sucker about these sort of deal with the devil or three wish stories. However, I do find your discussion of whether or not saving Olgird is the good ending. Interesting. I remember the Morkvarg quest where I wanted to break the curse, turn him normal and then kill him afterwards. I would have liked an option to do, to do that for Olgird as well. Uh, at least I got a sword, though. I will say that the biggest fault in the expansion was that if you wanted to be decent to Shani, you had to, quote, romance her. If there is a way to be nice to her without sex, I could not find it. In a story with such great writing, it felt like a fumble. As a side note, playing the introduction of Shani with my EMT friend in the room was fantastic. The model of the soldier is apparently very much in a state where CPR would do more harm than good. I triggered a cutscene, and all of a sudden, I heard my friend say, "Stop it! You're making it worse." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought she was talking about me. Anyway, the game became very different for me because my actual medic friend would challenge all of Shawnee's medical advice. It was like having House do an LP. I love it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The well, I mean, medicine was different in Witcher times. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, and I think, I mean, we talked about, it's been a while since we recorded the episode. I think we did talk about that Shawnee, you know, having to, to romance her thing. And mm-hmm. it feels a little bit like the the game being a prisoner of of the franchise. Yeah. You know, like you kind of have to have romance. Because so for some people, we, you know, we talked about that a lot in the main episodes of Witcher 3, how like the actual romantic, like in the, the definition of that, not the code word for fucking that people use it mm-hmm. in video games for, is actually extremely good. But yeah. the, the sex scenes and, and that as a reward is gross and, and kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that definitely remains true Yes, here. Like I didn't feel the, the romantic connection so much as I, as I did with Yennefer you know, earlier. Yes. Well, so. also liking Shawnee enough as a character that you don't want to be like 
cold to her. Right. Cruel. Yeah. yeah. It, it was an interesting thing. I wish they had tied that a little bit more into the stuff with, uh, with the brother and the ghost, because the whole implication that she likes you more when you are, you know, being possessed because that's, you know, a, a version of Geralt that doesn't exist that kind of lets loose. Mm-hmm. I think that having romance, you know, sex not be an option would have been very cool. You know, like she sees this, you know, maybe she's kind of interested in Geralt in the past they've been together. She mm-hmm. sees this this version that has totally let go. And then once you go back to the real version, just can't, you know, like I, I want that Geralt. Mm-hmm. And that's the good Geralt. They went in proof later. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, Willem uh, says via contact. Uh, Gaunter's wooden spoon messed me up. I can't think of any other video game moment that's upset me as much as what he did to that anonymous drunk. It's been a few months since it happened. I've not rewatched it, but its memory still slides its way into my brain at least once a day. It's absolutely chilling and brilliant. It's a moment I'm happy to be traumatized by. That scene was already firing on all cylinders with Odim's trickster facade finally failing, falling away to reveal the impossible darkness beneath. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt which story we're stuck in and how vital it is to get out. Things are finally winding down and then <laughs> no warning, no fanfare, just the cruelest possible act in the blithest possible way for the pettiest possible reason. He wouldn't uh, even have known that what happened. Everything just stopped. Random, sudden, meaningless death. And if time can freeze at any moment, then this can happen at any moment. The series has a reputation for bleakness, but I still didn't expect it to hit uh expect to be hit with such a devastating memento, Mori, uh, especially in the middle of a game where I've already seen at least 800 billion people die, usually by my hand. It is, yeah. It is a, a meaningful... It does what it needs to do, which is demonstrate that power, mm-hmm. you know, at the point where the plot requires that you go along with this kind of technicality. <laughs> you know, we there needs to be a reason why Geralt does not question this, like, actually, we, we I said we'd all have drinks together you know and and be like oh, okay you got me yeah yeah yep no i thought that Gwilym, uh, uh stated that very well we, we, yeah. we heaped a lot of praise on that scene but you know i have kind of revisited it even you know ever since like it yeah it resounds absolutely yeah, yeah it's, it's it's fantastic um the, the the spoon and just you know i love the you know what actually are you do you really <laughs> want to know yeah no you don't <laughs> um fantastic yes um, Andrew writes via contact. When I recommend games to friends, I try not to focus too much on DLC. Games are already a fairly expensive hobby, and including a secondary cost and a recommendation feels a little wrong to me. There are a few DLC packs that I make exceptions for. Uh, Bloodborne's The Old Hunters is an example. Um, Hearts of Stone may be the only DLC campaign for which I might tell someone, look, even if you're not going to play the base game, at least get it so you can play Hearts of Stone. This isn't to say that The Witcher 3 is bad. It's extremely good, but it is very long, and that can be a turnoff. Fortunately, Hearts of Stone can be played immediately as its own thing without any knowledge of the base game to fully enjoy. Hearts of Stone may be my favorite video game narrative ever, uh, and it has one of my favorite villains in in all of media. Uh, It's much less open to player choice until the very end, but this means that the story is more structured and the devs know what players will be experiencing at what point and can therefore know when to seed foreshadowing and when to hit players with big reveals. But the point I want to call attention to is the fact that uh, one of the greatest cutscenes of all The Witcher 3 is easily missable. When returning to the estate, Olgird commandeered after he sends you on a suicide mission, Geralt arrives uh, to find some of Olgird's goons about to put in, uh, about to put innkeepers to death. 
you then choose to get involved or let them carry out their business. Regardless of your choice, this is the point when you learn that Olgird is immortal. But the way you learn will depend on your choice. Not getting involved leads to a scene where the innkeeper's daughter drives a sword through Olgird's chest. However, if you do get involved, you fight Olgird, culminating in a, in a cutscene uh, of Geralt uh, chopping off Olgird's head, only for his body to remain standing as he slowly claps at your victory. My jaw dropped at the partly humorous, partly grotesque image imagery that I was viewing. The fight was exhilarating, but that follow-up, the incredibly animated bit of fuck you, I'm still here, drained all of the adrenaline I was high on and replaced it with amusement and curiosity. Uh, just what the hell is going on here? I call attention to this because while intervening seemed like the only appropriate course of action to me, more than a few of my friends told me that they did nothing. I played my Geralt off uh, as someone, uh, sorry, I played my Geralt as someone who had little patience for nobles who mistreat the working class in no small part because of Geralt himself, uh, because Geralt himself is a trademan, tradesman. Olgaird immediately registered to me as someone I couldn't wait to put in his place. Uh, <laughs> and I jumped at the opportunity to fight him. Uh, my friends, on the other hand, played him as standoffish and unwilling to pick fights without very good reason. Uh, when I told them about the cutscene uh, they missed, they all kicked themselves for their choice. Uh, then looked it up on YouTube and reported back about how great it was. Yeah, it's awesome. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it, it's re it's really cool, and that um, is like a microcosm of the thing that makes CD Pro CD Project Red so special, which is that confidence. Yeah. In hiding or putting putting things in places where you're not going to necessarily get it. More details have come out about Cyberpunk 2077 or whatever it is. Um, yeah, that looks so good. <laughs> I have I've been avoiding because I don't. Uh, I do. I try not to stoke game boners, uh, -huh. uh you know, as, as much as possible, not no judgment. Like if, mm -hmm. you, if you do that, I try not to to do that. Like, I know I'm going to play it, but the, the, the thing that I definitely figured out was like, Oh, it'll be ready for like the PS five or whatever. <laughs> right. So I know, you know, it's a, it's a ways off and I'm going to have to, it's going to require some financial investment before I can play it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think my computer will play it. So I need to, uh, I'm, I'm just, there's no point in getting too, too turgid about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm working on. Info it had does been... look amazing what I know though. Oh yeah. Info had been so rare that I kind of jumped on it and was like, yes, I want to know what these guys are doing now. Yeah. No. Cause it's just, you know, God, you know, real again. And that has a cost. We talked about the develop kind of shitty development cycle and people being mistreated, but like so confident, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I love it. Um, very good scene. Um, Riley says by contact. The game Hearts of Stone reminds me most uh, – the game that Hearts of Stone reminds me most of is Mask of the Betrayer because they're both amazing expansions, but also they both look at theology, a subject rarely broached by games. Mask of the Betrayer looked at the problem of hell and damnation for non-belief, and Hearts of Stone takes thematic influence from Faust, looking at redemption and damnation. I also like how it treats oblivion as what most people believe happens after death. In a more secular age, belief in Christian heaven shouldn't be assumed about the audience. This might be a little dry, but I wanted to talk about how uh, the Faust connection ties into your ending decision. The ending choice with Gaunter ties into the two main versions of the Faust story that exist, as well as the Polish uh, Pan Twardowski version. Uh, the difference between Faust A and Faust B are slight, but one implies Faust is damned to hell for making his deal with the devil, and nothing can change that, and the other is that it was still possible for him to change his ways and find salvation. This difference reflects belief in predestination. If God has chosen who goes to hell before birth, or if it is our deeds that determine salvation or damnation. In Pan Twardowski, the hero prays to God while being dragged to hell, and ends up stuck on the moon, in neither heaven or hell, but shows that redemption is possible. 
This is why the moon shows up as a fixture in Hearts of Stone. Hmm. A large part of my decision to save Olgird was tied to my philosophical opposition to predestination and hell in general. Olgird is a bad person who has done bad things, that's for sure. But like Faust, I have to believe redemption is possible and that nobody is deserving of eternal damnation in hell. We don't know how Elgird will live his life following Gaunter and do know the guilt of his deeds will never leave him. But I found it far better to give him that chance of redemption in life and to face whatever mystery awaits after death than to allow him to be tormented forever, despite how vile his deeds may be. Anyway, I just thought those connections would be cool uh, to share, and the Hearts of Stone can make us uh, think about these things, and and that just reflects how stellar of an experience it is. Yeah. Riley yeah. stated much better than I did in the main episode uh, why I made the decision I made at the end of uh, the expansion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it's an interesting uh, kind of conundrum mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And I was happy somebody made the connection to Mask of the Betrayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like we were remiss. Mm -hmm. We probably should have done so. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very well put. Um, yeah. What does uh, what does Paul say? Paul, uh, with our final response here, says we all know Hearts of Stone is great. So rather than effuse about the writing in general, I thought I'd mention a few specific, less obvious things uh, that I really came to appreciate in my most recent playthrough. Number one, Gaunter's design is perfect. At first glance, he's just a slubby, schlubby, nondescript, Tony Shalhoub-looking motherfucker. <laughs> Tony Shalhoub. Shalhoub. Shalhoub is, uh, is a very good uh, minor uh, uh, Cthulhu mythos god. Yeah, I was, I was just trying to portmanteau. Yeah. Uh, like Tony, Tony Shalhoub Nagaroth. Yeah. Uh, but once you look more closely, you can see the infernal menace in his eyes. It is a perfect depiction of Satan via the mysterious stranger or the master and Margarita. Uh, two, I love that this expansion brings Cossacks into the Witcher, into the Witcher universe. Another serving of that Slavic flavor uh, that makes the Witcher series unique and that you don't see in games very often. Olgierd's bizarre haircut is the classic Cossack forelock uh, that goes back uh, to at least the 10th century. Um, and his crew looks like they came straight out of Elias Repin's painting. Um, three, early on when Geralt is first brought aboard the Ophiri ship, his cellmate exclaims, I'm glad to have company besides my reflection in the piss bucket. Uh, it's the kind of foreshadowing that you take no note of at the time, but feels very clever upon replay. Four, I love that Hearts of Stone employs the classic trope of the devil agreeing to take someone's soul at a specific named location. The proximate source is a legend of Pan Twardowski, the Polish Faust, uh, who agrees to give up his soul to the devil in Rome, then accidentally stops at, uh, at an inn called Rome. Um, I've been able to find the trope at least as far back as Pope Sylvester II, uh, who promised his soul in Jerusalem and then died uh, after visiting the Holy Cross of Jerusalem Church. But I'm sure it goes back even further. And finally, number five, Hearts of Stone has my favorite example of Geralt's low tolerance for bullshit. When Gaunter freezes, uh, freezes time in the end, you can ask him, are you really controlling time or is this an illusion? Gaunter answers, does it matter? In any other game and in most other media, this would be a mic drop and the chase and protagonist would nod thoughtfully and move on. Geralt being Geralt answers, of course it matters. <laughs> <laughs> One makes Gaunter a wizard. One makes him a god. Geralt still doesn't uh, get a straight answer, but I love that he's unafraid to both sass the devil and avoid cliche. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> like I, I love, I love that answer yep. as a thing that that kind of those kind of nods towards uh, you know somebody being real as opposed to uh, 
you know, at being pithy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I want to take that whole sequence, you know, that, that conversation in the bar that culminates with the spoon. I just want to take that and put it in a frame and hang it up. Put it in a time capsule. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, you know, the, the, here, here's video games, uh-huh. you know, like here, here's, you know, I want, I want people to, to see that and know. Yeah. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All, all great points. Like Paul uh, is a, as a stalwart, uh, member of the the Slack community, and these are things that we've talked about a lot mm-hmm. in our Witcher Three channel, uh, Girls Bathtub, <laughs> Girls which bathtub. Uh, which may or may not ever die because uh, <laughs> you know it's not crazy active, but there's a post every couple of days still, and it's yeah. been a long time since we talked about doing that game. So yeah, we have to keep it open at least until we uh, cover Blood and Wine. Absolutely, yeah. Which uh, which I'm excited about. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. Thanks everybody mm-hmm. uh, for that. Thanks for thanks for all your responses. We really do appreciate it. Um, go back a little bit for the real admin. We're not going to do everything again. Nope. Uh, just say thank you again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably about it. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see you next week. Absolutely. Good night, everybody. Good night.